It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we, we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. everybody to another episode of CC, the CT Startup Podcast. This is another episode in the Stanford Next, Stanford Innovation Places uh, series. And uh, we have uh, an interesting company here uh, that we're going to be talking to, Wave Aerospace. And we have the two co-founders, Mark Strauss and Steve Bofill. How are you guys doing today? Good. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. We're glad to be here. Great. So uh, what's Wave Aerospace all about? Wave Aerospace is a aircraft manufacturer and uh, what sets it apart from most other or almost all other uh, drone uh, manufacturers is that our aircraft fly in just about any weather, any conditions during the storm, during the rain, during the snow, we can be up in the air. All right. So were you guys uh, um, amateur drone pilots before you got into this or how did you, how did uh, Wave Aerospace come to be? I started flying before I could drive. I actually, <laughs> I actually used to hitchhike from Greenwich High School to Westchester County Airport, where I'd grab the keys and go practice flying. Just grab any keys. You just grabbed any keys and just went. Yeah, flying. they had a board with the one seventy two keys, and you would, you would reserve it. And uh, I used to laugh all the time because I couldn't even drive to the airport yet, but I could go fly. And so uh, I've been interested in flying my whole life. But it was Steve who approached me uh, a few years ago. Um, 
And we met. Yeah, so, so we met through the Stanford Innovation Center, which nice. was a, yep. um, a a building that was sort of set up years ago for for tech entrepreneurs and just community tech uh, uh, connoisseurs. Yeah, I presented a uh, my company presented an EIA award there. Uh, oh, okay. like four or five years ago, maybe. So. They had the EIA awards in, uh, in Stanford. Stanford. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I want to say about five years ago, maybe. Um, yeah, interesting. So so long story short, uh, my background's aerospace engineering. I I worked at Lockheed Northrop um, Sikorsky it's hence why I'm, I'm here in Connecticut and uh, at the time I had an idea for a concept for for a drone um, and I looked at the innovation center and someone was giving it and I didn't know anything about drones at the time I was from an aerospace background but that was fighter aircraft and, and government defense contract things like that no drone uh, and so I saw a um, someone was giving a, a, a seminar on drones it was Mark <laughs> And that's how we met. So uh, then we just started working together from then. And at the time, Mark was working on his uh, drone project, which developed into Wave. So I do just want to point out that was the whole point of all these uh, Stanford Innovation Center and all these different projects that CT Next and CI try to put out is to connect people like you, right? You yeah, you have an idea, you have you have an expert in, in, in the space, and you have a random conversation, and then a few years later, you have a business, right? Like. Absolutely. A few years later, yeah. a lot of blood and tears, yeah. and uh, but it was great. And I mean, Steve has the skill set that I don't have, and it was a sort of a match made in heaven. And we really moved the project from what was—I wouldn't say a hobby, but it was uh, uh, a thirty-dollar Amazon drone that I broke the day after I bought it, and uh, it, it grew uh, with Steve's help into what we have today. I think every $30 drone that I've ever gotten, I broke within the first day. So I, I understand that. So. Absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, and then I took it apart and was sure I could fix it. And yeah, that yeah. wasn't going to happen. So, so Steve, the, the initial kernel of an idea that you had when you first uh, met uh, Mark, what was that? Like, what is it? Is it where you are today or? So we develop drone technology that lends itself to a number of different business applications. Yep. At the time, um, one of my uh, ideas was, uh, you know, I had, I had, been in New York and I saw them washing windows with uh, oh, my yeah, hand and I yeah, said to myself, yeah. there's got to be a way to do that. I thought of drones, but I didn't know anything about drones. So I said to Mark, hey, um, <clears throat> sorry, can, you know, what do you think about drones washing windows? What, what would that look like, etc." cetera? Um, and Mark had already been working on his own drone platform that expanded the limits of drone technology. And so what I think is unique about our company is we've got various platforms that are basically expand the limits of what a normal drone can do that lend itself to no, different business applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought we worked on uh, the window washing drone. We worked on uh, wave and building basically the all weather drone. And there's lots of different business applications for these products. It was, um, it was interesting yeah. growing up. My grandfather worked on the 80th floor of the empire state building and the empire state building is one of the few skyscrapers in New York where the windows open. So as a child, uh, and of course, the Empire State Building comes out as it goes down. Yeah. So you you could throw something out the window and it didn't hit the street. So as a child, I threw just about everything <laughs> out the window of the 80th floor of the Empire State Building. And one of the things, and this is a true story, one of the things that I learned very quickly was if you threw something out, the wind was so unbelievable on the 80th floor. Not only did it blow the building so you could move it, but if you were going to to work out there, whether you were cleaning windows or fly a drone, 
it would be almost impossible. It's like an actually kind of dangerous job. To do. Yeah, no question about it. So when Steve came with this idea that, hey, we want to do something next to a vertical surface, and it doesn't matter whether you're flying next to a, a vertical airspace barrier or, or next to a building or, or maybe next to a, a wind turbine, the bottom line is it's really hard to do that. And I had been thinking about this problem since a kid because I would throw paper airplanes out and they would hit the wind and then yeah. they just go. So this is this was a lifetime connection that that came together in designing a drone, designing an aircraft. Mm-hmm. And we actually call it an aircraft because it's a little different from what you think of as a drone. I did see that. It, it yeah. is it kind of makes you like, is that a plane? Is so that I think <laughs> I think if I can give my because I, I had no experience on drones coming into yep. this. Um, and, and what I've learned at a very high level that that I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that aren't in the drone space. Uh, number one, uh, a drone is very good at keeping its distance above the ground. So if you set it at, hey, I want you to stay three feet above the ground, it'll stay three feet above the ground no matter what. However, if a gust of wind comes across, the drone will go in this direction uh, for people that are listening, left, right, forward, back, with a gust of wind. It, it's not very good at keeping its position uh, on, the, the, on like the plane. The th- in the 3D space. The, kind yeah, of, yeah, so, right, so yeah. it can keep its vertical position very, very well. What it's not good at doing is, is if a gust of wind comes along, keeping its planar position, right? It, 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 it's not built that way. Yep. All those quadcopter drones. Number two uh, thing that you, that I learned very on, there's a lot of drone companies out there, but if you peel back the onion, 90% of them are the standard quadcopter with new software and sensors that does X, right? X being a special function. But Follow it me while I'm on my snowboard or do this while I'm uh, doing that. Yeah, thermal imaging. <laughs> exactly. um, you know, there's all these different quote-unquote drone companies out there, but there aren't that many hardware drone companies that are re- reinventing sort of the the drone platform to expand it for various applications mm-hmm. outside of what a normal quadcopter is, it can do. Right. Like so the you, software and the sensors are being changed, not the actual correct. equipment. Correct. So exactly. I would say 80-90% of drone companies that are out there are just throwing software on a quadcopter you're, drone. You're basically talking about brilliant software engineers flying a potato. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's, that's what we're looking at. And, and the problem comes is that this doesn't have to do with their programming prowess it doesn't have to do with uh the power or the size of the aircraft the bottom line is all rotorcraft suffer from these innate problems and it's the same reason you don't take a helicopter from new york to la there are just innate physical differences in rotorcraft whether it's four rotors three rotors six rotors doesn't matter so if you're going to address some of these problems you've got to start looking at an aircraft in a little bit of a different way. Um, there is no way to program a potato to do what our drone can do, which is basically take off and land in 70 knot winds and fly into a, into a storm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way to program it to do that. You've got to actually change the way it flies. And that's what, which that's what, you know, that's what's, important about what what we do mm-hmm. and um you know there's a lot of search and rescue drones you see people in the emergency space police using them but we were speaking with the police and the first thing the police said is we'd love to use our drones but the first thing we have to do is look out the window and see how good the weather is so we know whether we can 
apply it. And basically, they're like most of the time, it's like useless, right? <laughs> it's like we're not, we can't even, we can't, can't even go use it. We spent all this money, good. you know, all this federal money to get these these nice uh, toys, and now we can't even use them. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, so interesting um, when it comes to business use cases, right? So you come from defense kind of industry. You, you say aerospace, but defense when we're talking about drones, right? And the kind of a thing is that. Um, the original use cases, the window washing and everything. Like, did you have like an original kind of, you know, the, kind of we've been contacted for a number of different use cases yeah. across multiple industries to toss out some examples. And Mark, you can talk into detail about some some more of these. Um, search and rescue is a big one. Uh, yeah. Coast Guard. Any, they suppose if someone is missing a mile or two off the coast, if it's windy out, you can't get someone out there. Inspecting uh, containers at a cargo ship coming into port. If that yeah. if the ship's moving at 20 knots and there's 50 knot winds or vice versa, that's 70 knots. A normal drone can't even go near that. Plus, uh, so we've been contacted. For, again, I'm just thinking of use cases that we've been contacted for, or reached out to for um, inspection. I don't know if you want to go into. Yeah, I mean, the first use case that we were approached for was circumnavigating a cargo ship at sea. And you know those big steel containers? It's impressive to see how big those things are. It's, in, it's incredible. <laughs> and what's really surprising is to know that six of those big containers fall off those ships every single day. On average in the world. On average, worldwide. Well, what? Well, meaning... Six of those 40-foot steel not every, containers. Not, not like every... So it's not like... So So if, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, it's like... Uh, if there's 500 ships out on any given day, there's six containers. There's an average six of six containers. Okay, okay. I was about to say, day. I was like, how are these getting? Yeah. Like, no, how are we? No, no. <laughs> no, and it's it's incredible. The bottom line, though, is there's no real way to take a look at the straps and while they're on their way, because as Steve said, uh, the boat's going 20 knots. So you've got sometimes 40, 50 knot winds coming over the deck. So in order to take off from the boat, autonomously circumnavigate the ship and uh, take a look at what's going on, that capability doesn't exist. Even on military ships, they have full-size helicopters that can do that, but there's, they literally hang off the side just like they hang off a building, right? So you, if you wanna see the side of the ship. So that was one of the first use cases that, that came apart. But the, what always surprised me is, and there's been demonstrations of people delivering like a kidney, like an organ transplant. But the bottom line is while it is amazing, and it's, it's, it's cool that they can do it autonomously. Uh, if I'm waiting for an organ, for an organ transplant, the last thing I want is on a drone because if it starts to rain or if you climb up to 500 feet or 1,000 feet and the winds are too high, that organ is not going to get to me. And that's just the nature of the beast. Um, and like I said, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's very few ways around it. So what I'm hearing you say is that we are not even close to having Amazon be just shipping, you know, just having these these, That's <laughs> these huge buildings full right. of drones just shipping your, your No. I mean these the, the the best case scenario would be first of all, you're never gonna land something spinning a propeller in somebody's backyard. You're never gonna winch something down. I have a twenty one year old daughter, she'd be out there with a bat, you know, you know, who knows what would be going on, you can yep. imagine. However, you could move you could move something from one place to another. It could move to a truck. It could move to the top of a building, the critical delivery, you know, across Long Island Sound or across the water out to the wind turbines that are in the turbine farm. You know, that's the kind of thing you could do. But the problem is you can't do it 24-7 until now. And that's, and that's what's so important. And the same is true, by the way, for air taxis. So they're building, we don't build 
aircraft for people right now. Mainly that was a decision because of the certification process. Mm -hmm. But um, but they have these same limitations. And so everybody is facing this. And that's why when we approached the problem, we really had to take another look at it and, uh, and find a way around it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny when people talk about air taxis and drones and everything. People are like, well, don't we have those? They're helicopters. <laughs> that's, that's correct and the only real difference is that they're electric and that means you have to have a big battery right you know so it's like electric cars you're charging it and somebody's burning something to make that electricity it's just not around here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right so there are clean energy you know solar wind um, hydrogen uh, fuel cells things like that which we look into but the bottom line is most electric things right now whether it's flight or driving are simply moving the pollution around the earth not so much getting rid of it and that's another conversation no yeah yeah good. yeah yeah anyway <laughs> another another, another thing that you always have to factor into to well, your product design right? i think a lot of people look at us you know as we are we have an all-electric product um it can also run on hybrid with fuel and electric but when you have an electric product whether it's a tesla car and you know which is really cool and we certainly have nothing against them um but the bottom line is somebody's still making the electricity you're just not making it in your backyard so um you know these things their benefit is is clear and it's coming but we are in the infancy and the cool thing about that is a hundred years ago airplanes and cars came on the market mm -hmm. at about the same time. And the reason was because of the power to weight of the motors changed. We, instead of steam engines, we had fuel engines. A mm -hmm. hundred years later, we now move to electric motors, which have an even higher power to weight. And that's why we're seeing a disruption now. So transportation seems to be on about a hundred year cycle. And you can even go back a hundred years before that and you had trains. So transportation in general seems to be on a hundred year disruption cycle and we are at the infancy of the next cycle which is the change in power to weight of the motors that make things go mm -hmm. so in thinking about your different use case and everything so are you trying to build like one you know one drone that can handle a variety of different use cases or is it something where you have to design you like you almost have like this one will work for this use cases. This one will work for that. Those use use cases are there, there are variants, and Stephen talked a little bit about them. Some with wings, some without. Um, but the bottom line is one of the unique capabilities of our drone is that normally when you want to lift something more or go further, you have to change the size of the drone. Because of the aerodynamics of our drone, that's not the case. We have the same basic aircraft, and you simply change one of its five motors in order to change its characteristics. So huh. it has one large motor and four small motors. And that large motor is really responsible for a lot of the uh, sort of the business end of the, of the aircraft. Um, that motor is in the center and it can snap out. So whether you're doing maintenance or you're putting in a larger one, it doesn't change the primary design of the drone. So we could lift 10 kilograms or we could lift 50 kilograms and all that requires is the change of that single engine. And that's part of our key technology, which we patented, um, which essentially allows the drone to do what normal drones aren't able to do uh, in, in more extreme weather. Nice. That's, 
So, so technically, the same drone could be used for like if they, if a client has multiple different use cases, they could definitely. I would I would caveat that with it depends on the use case, right? Yeah, yeah, but, but, but yeah, say they have two or three use cases that that work within your model, they could right. technically just reconfigure that one drone to to be able to do all three. In general, depending the client may have their yeah. own requirements, like we need it to be you know this big, this big. They might have certain requirements that we that we're unaware of. Uh, but in general, yes. Mm -hmm. So, do you see you you see that you're more you're a B two B company, right? I mean, you do you Absolutely. see any do you see any kind of uh, um, uh, commercialization with just the regular folk or? Oh, at the consumer. Yeah, level. The consumer level. We yeah. don't make any consumer products. Um, that said, uh, I think the consumer space has been the most successful, right until now. Just like we saw with cameras, right? Um, Pretty much everybody's carrying a high-resolution camera in their pocket right mm -hmm. now. Um, and even a step up from that, when you look at mirrorless cameras and mirrorless uh, uh, technology that's come along, you can basically hold uh, a very high-quality camera you know, wherever you, wherever you go. Drone technology uh, with companies like DJI and, and some of the others have been incredibly successful in getting relatively capable drones although they do have to be flown in good weather um under certain restrictions with the faa but have been very successful in getting them into the hands of the consumer market we don't look to that space only because the size and weight of our drones is not appropriate for um a consumer they the faa wouldn't allow them to fly it and they're manufactured to a higher standard our, our aircraft are manufactured the same standard that a full-size aircraft mm -hmm. would be manufactured. So do you have to have a special license to, to then fly your drones? In fact, all, yes. Well, I mean, I know, I know you all drone operators now have to do that, right? Right. Like even like consumer drones, like don't you have to kind of register with the FAA? You have to like register your... them, but you do need a uh, Part 107 and in some cases uh, other waivers from the FAA in order to fly larger drones. And just as important as the license to be the pilot of the drone, the FAA does require in many cases um, you to notify them in the form of what's called a waiver uh, to fly in certain areas that uh, so they they're aware of the fact that they're they yeah, may be okay. aircraft flying. Yeah, well, obviously, right? They don't want you flying around airports in certain places, right? But even <laughs> over over certain altitudes, around certain, uh, uh, yeah, it depends. Yeah. And actually, you know. The FAA is in transition now, and I have to say, the FAA has been extremely friendly to the drone community and has brought together people from industry, and uh, what I don't think you're seeing right now is you're seeing basically the consumer drone space pushing into the commercial space, but the consumer drone space does not carry with it the level of safety and reliability that commercial aircraft do. And so there's a bit of a disconnect, and the FAA is going to, at some point, need to standardize the lar rules for the and, and licenses for the larger commercial non-piloted drones mm -hmm. uh, that are being used industrially um, as a separate. Yeah, ba ba you need a CDL, right? You can't just be you can't just drive a, a tractor trailer. You need to get a license. You need to be able to exactly. You know, exactly, and the FAA has been doing that for years. I mean. Uh, you get it's not a new license, but as a pilot myself, I get uh, sign offs or type ratings for different types of okay. aircraft, right? So I can go hop in a, a you know, 
a certain size aircraft, yep. but if I want to go jump in a 747, I need a different kind of uh, type rating. And also, you can't go fly a helicopter, right? Because but you can. Fly. I don't have a helicopter <laughs> license, but I could get I yes. could get one as well, and that would simply be typed onto as a rating onto my license. So it's just like a, a driver's license where you get rated or ship or a captain's license where you're rated for different tonnage, things like mm-hmm. that. So I'm going to step back a little bit from kind of the the use case and technology kind of side of it. I want to go back to you guys meeting, right, and how that kind of went down and so forth and what how it evolved. So like, run us through kind of what happened after that initial meeting. Like, how did you guys end up here and running a business? Uh, yeah, good good question. So um, we, I, I, Mark gave a great presentation on drones. I knew that I needed to learn about drones, so I went to the presentation, the innovation center. And I just hung around after everybody left. I was like, hey, hey, man, you know, what do you think of this? And we started talking. Um, and he's like, oh, that's interesting. And then I think we slowly we started working together um, maybe once a week for a while, just kind of getting together uh, his garage, um, you know, at the Innovation Center. And I'm trying to think, and, and I, I think just we frequently started working more and more together. Um, we originally had an – we've – We've moved offices throughout Stanford, so we were at the Innovation Center for a little bit. Then we were at Serendipity Labs mm-hmm. for some time. COVID hit, uh, and then um, I we had back to the garage. <laughs> yeah, well, we had won an EIA award for uh, for Sky Squeegee, uh, which is the concept for the yep. window okay. cleaning uh, drone platform. And through that program, uh, a gentleman named Tom had reached out uh, a few months later as a, as a follow up. Um, I kind of briefed him on where we were, and he's like, you know, you should really apply for. Um, for the tip program and at the time i had been aware of it but i assumed it was in hartford so i didn't but he's like no they're opening one in stanford um and so uh long story short we we apply and again just a just a it's it's amazing like the smallest things like tom just emailed me and i re- replied him back i didn't know who, who this person was and we we connected and we followed up and what he, uh who, tom who uh gerson through eia Net, okay. Uh, through, okay through so um, so he followed up on behalf of EIA Next, um, just to see how we were, uh, CT Next rather, just yep. to see how we were doing, and um, and uh, and told us about the tip program. So we applied, uh, we got in, and we were actually I think one of the first companies to to get in. Uh, I would say middle of COVID or towards the end of COVID, uh, February, and and then we've been here since. Um, most we, you know we have a small office here, obviously uh, not big enough for our equipment. Our equipment's in Mark's garage uh, in uh, down in Old Greenwich, which is maybe. 10 minute drive from here yeah and you still get to have like we built this out of a garage story right it's it's, it's sort of <laughs> we built this out of a garage but you have to understand that the last thing that we built in there was a full-size airplane called a kit fox and uh this was years ago this when, was, when you were so but i didn't know that oh, so, so it's a big garage it's so a it's, garage. it's a garage where we've built full-size aircraft and uh the unfortunately for the neighbors have had to deal with a lot of uh large things coming out of the garage we're probably the only ones who have to set up like emergency cones when we open the garage door you know to keep to keep people back but um but the interesting thing is what's once we've gotten in tip and this was steve was you know, he said, you want to apply to TIP? I said, sure, you know, whatever. But uh, one of the things that's changed since we've been here is as we get closer to commercialization, technology changes, there are very, uh, there are a number of verticals. There are, you know, emergency services, search and rescue, uh, inspection of building facades, things like that. And what's become very clear is, uh, you know, what are the first ones we're going into? So that's a big decision because 
20 years ago, there was no such thing as starting an aircraft manufacturer. I mean, you would have need $200 million in, you know, research mm -hmm. for years. Um, we've done this in five years. And it's a little bit different from a normal startup because building an airplane from scratch with the capabilities that this has is, is, uh, is very unique. And so now one of the things that's changed over the last few months uh, of being in TIP the beginning of tip is that we've been able to really focus on which aircraft to move forward first. We keep shifting the positions, mm -hmm. right? Which are the ones it's, it's similar technology based on similar IP that's all protected, but exactly the variant that we decide to develop or commercialize first is a difficult, right? For a small company is a difficult decision for sure. And going down those different routes, like going down too many different pathways, could ruin the business because you because you don't have it you, you yeah. know because again you you said you had a, a few different people reach out and say hey I have this use case and I have this use case this use case and at the at the beginning you're like this is great we have all this data people want this product but then you, once you siphon it down you're like well they all want different things yes, or no, five it's, people it's, uh, want this one thing versus right. ten people want this one right um, yeah no agreed and and I've I've had prior uh, you know I've been involved in the tech startup world for a while and and you know you don't want to be everything to everybody, right? In, in a sense, um, and, and just to jump back to the to tip and everything, uh, a couple of things I would I would say is I was surprised when I moved to Stanford. The 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 tech community in general is a lot bigger than you think it is, and there's more resources than you think there is um, between uh, CT Next, uh, tip program here, UConn, um, uh, CT Innovations. There, there's so many resources for folks. Um, in Connecticut, and, and I think especially in the Stanford area, um, for you know if you want to get involved in, in, in tech startup, uh, you know, and just tech in general, or startup community in general, uh, the number two thing I say is that the folks here at Tip are fantastic. There's never, you know, they're, you know they're always there. If we hey can you, can we do this or do you guys know? Yeah, we know we we have somebody we have a Canadian talk to this person. Um, very helpful. They've got seminars. So there's there's a lot of uh, resources here that we were honestly unaware of when we applied. But that was a pleasant surprise as we are going through the program. And then my background, I'm from New York. Uh, so I, I grew up on Long Island. I think I'm a perfect example of like what Connecticut's trying to do successfully is peel people off from New York and bring them up here. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you still have a New York license plate? I do because I don't have to pay uh, tax <laughs> okay. on the car. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll take that out. We'll take that out. One thing I want to add also that sets Stanford apart, and one of the reasons we wanted to settle here is that – uh, obviously, we live in a very airspace-dense area here, and we're building aircraft. So this, this represents both a benefit and a potential hazard. Stanford is the first city in Connecticut, first town or city, that sits outside the edge of the New York-controlled Class B airspace. For the airports. For the New York really? airspace. So, so when we are developing these drones and working with the FAA, and what we ultimately want to do is fly across Long Island Sound, we can, of course, working with the FAA, potentially get wavered access to space that is not part of that New York-controlled airspace and i assume that means like you're going up against basically the strict like the strictest regulations right it's or like one the, level like, down yeah. basically it's the level right before they send the fighter jets <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah. so so like so if you wanted yeah. to send a drone from new rochelle to port washington forget it you're in you're in that airspace yeah right but if you want to send a drone out of line of sight from stanford to huntington you're clear from a 
out with of the permission of the FAA. With permission of the FAA. Right. So there's yeah. some opportunity there for um, for what we would call a corridor or testing ground that is close by uh, a major city versus having to go three hours north um, yeah. in in. Where is it? Upstate in New York, Rome, somewhere. In yeah. Rome, New York. But but it's like one of those things where it's like let's put us up against the strictest thing like that that we'd have to deal with anyways, right. and just like let's figure it out from the get go instead it, it, of. And we did that, and we basically, you know, again, again, as a pilot, when I want to land at Westchester Airport, it's funny because although I'm landing at a small airport, I actually have to call New York approach because I'm actually entering into the edge of this New York flight control mm-hmm. area that's something that if i was in a small airport upstate i wouldn't have to do so that's a very normal thing to do but with drones that the fa is not prepared to allow a small unmanned aircraft into the same airspace with transport aircraft right with people on them and so it's very important that stanford stanford and norwalk really are the two towns uh that represent these key connecticut towns that have access to an area of pretty low population over water um, and uh, towns like Huntington, which are already on board uh, to build what in essence is an aerial interstate and it would be the first in the country between the two states. So what kind of pops my mind is that, is it now, is it gonna be difficult to work within like cities? Like again, New York City, having squeegee drones all the way around just seems like a, you know, like a, big risk right? well it depends on uh, yeah I, I think it depends on what you're doing and if you're tethered say connected to the building and on top of that if you're over people right so so what, it, what, what this is a, just a general yeah. fyi if a drone company needs to test their drone out of line of sight meaning uh i need to test farther than i can see right the, uh as of right now to my knowledge they have to go to drone platform proving grounds that are way outside of major cities, right? Uh, so the, the closest one I think is in upstate New York, about three hours away. Um, so so the, you know, because you got the Long Island Sound, you can test over that area. And I think there's been some interest in setting that up. One, to drum up business for, for towns around here, Stanford, to bring companies in that have drones that they want to mm-hmm. test that don't want to drive all the way up to New York. Um, and then creating sort of a tech hub around drones here in this area versus people having to drive all the way up there. Um, so I, I hmm. you know, there, there, there may be an opportunity there um, for, you know, to bring more development to this area. Definitely, and and if you think about it, once again, I, you know, I like looking back at history, US-1 runs right through here, and there's a reason, right? Because there's a big demand for this, this area, yeah. and there's a lot of traffic. Creating the first leg of aerial interstate one would be really historic. It would be the first drone corridor, again, on the condition that FAA granted permission, but it would be the first drone corridor that could be assigned that traveled between two states. And not only would it be available for testing of small aircraft, again, with the FAA on board, but it would also be a commercially viable transport and you know they were trying to build a tunnel they were trying to build a bridge all those projects failed because of environmental impact well drone crossing at this area where it's narrow actually would be great for the environment and potentially could stop a lot of traffic that's going around from here 
Now this this has Alabama. nothing to do with our company. This was just an idea we came up with because we needed well, to test that it we somewhere. Were, I mean, it, we were going to dem- we were yeah. going to demonstrate, demonstrate it. it. Yeah, it's just twenty four seven. But it's been uh, we, you know, we, you, which other companies wouldn't be able to do because yeah. they don't have your platform. So it is a party. <laughs> well, it's a part of our company in that uh, the only thing is, and I think this is Steve's point, is that. We don't own the airspace. We can't yeah. open or close yeah. it. So working with the FAA, working with local officials, working with the towns and the municipalities, that project would be a public-private oh, project sure. and yeah. separate from Wave Airspace. Wave Airspace happens, we happen to build the aircraft that we think would be perfect for it, but it would certainly be open to other companies as well. So we look at it as sort of a public good that yeah. we could then participate in. Right. So is this, I, I could only imagine that there are other people like yourself that um, thought about the window uh, squeegeeing drone, right? And and maybe tried to go build it. Are there other people trying to tackle this problem in like a different way or in a similar way that there's you're trying to... All weather, there's companies that are trying to tackle all the drone. We've seen companies are trying to tackle uh, the window cleaning. There, there's shortcomings on a lot of them. Oh, there's shortcomings on a lot of them. Uh, Mark, you can go into what's out there now, but I, I think... I think the competition is looking at things in a different way that doesn't really... We do forensics on every single company we can see on the internet. And we can tell by the pitch of the propellers on their aircraft whether they are aware of the limitations of rotorcraft. So in the latest Amazon drone, for example, the one they released publicly, so this is not any kind of inside information, they have two different propellers on the drone. Well, we can look at that picture and we know from that observation that their engineers are addressing a specific issue and we know what that issue is. Now, we've addressed the issue in another way, but the amazing thing is that we are seeing other companies attempt to fix the problem, the problem being the limitations of rotorcraft, and we can see it out in the open. Why else would you put two different propellers on the same drone? And other companies as well, we can take a look at their drones that they put out there, so we're not getting any, again, any kind of inside information. And the second we look at the size of those propellers and the pitch of the propellers and where they're placed, we know whether, one, they're aware of the problem, and two, if they are aware, how they're attempting to address it. So far, we haven't seen anybody who's been successful Uh, or seen any demonstrations that have been successful in the space. But there's no doubt that there's a lot of smart people out there who are aware of the limitations and everybody's working towards them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some people are obviously trying to do it just with software. Some people are doing it with hardware. Exactly. The catch is, though, we have Sikorsky here. Steve's worked for them. Again, this is public information. But you don't see helicopters going 300 miles an hour. And there's a reason for that. We aren't necessarily bound by those those So you're thinking about like the Osprey kind of a thing, right? Think, like, and, <laughs> like well, the Osprey is a great right? example <laughs> because what's the re you know, the Osprey yeah, tilts yeah, those yeah, engines. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever think about why you would bother to tilt an engine? Because it's very hard to tilt an engine. The only reason those engines tilt are because there are people in the cabin. Can't tilt the body. Right. Uh, now uh, apply yeah. that to drones and the world changes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So, so most people prop look at it if there's a yeah, we need your drone to fly farther, faster. Put it, put a bigger battery on it, right? Put a more powerful propellers, but use the same platform, right? That that's what most, you know. So yeah. oh, okay, we we sort of restructured the drone platform, right? With, with yeah. that, so we're not attacking it 
that way we're attacking it in a different well you're you, you, that that way and another way you're attacking you kind of, it's like you're you're looking at it like both ways kind of a thing right from the ground up yeah yeah, yeah yeah so so let's talk about industry connections and everything like that you obviously came from aerospace sikorsky like we have utc we have all these you know you know big companies here and the reason i bring that up is that use case wise like i only assume when when you talk about um uh, first responders we're also talking about military right and there's some sort of military applications to this do you one is that even you know a thought are you going to go down that path and also do you have to almost like completely design that completely differently than even civilian use cases and business use cases and everything well this, it's interesting our aircraft are designed to what's called mil specs so so they're, okay. so they're already um capable they're waterproof and they're they're all the components are are of a level that you would use yep. for a military type aircraft. We did make a decision early on, and this is another reason we say aircraft is because we build the platform. So when you buy a jumbo jet, basically it's fit out for your company. So if I'm making it into my second yep. home, they put it out second home. If I'm making it into a, the next United aircraft, then they're going to put seats in it. We're very similar to that in that we design the aircraft and then the payload depends on the use case, right? So we don't build it with uh, a particular payload. We, we build it to accept many, many different payloads. Because of its capabilities, it's a little bit unknown how the military will look at it. The one thing I can tell you is that in a discussion, brief discussion with the U.S. State Department about export, we got about five minutes into the discussion and uh, the State Department was very good to deal with. And, and they, that when they found out its capabilities, they, the woman on the phone said, you know, I've worked here for five years and I'm not really sure if this needs to go through the State Department or the military. So they're still debating about export um, because of its capabilities. But the bottom line is the use cases, you know, we, we choose our customers. They come to us. We choose whether we want to pursue it. And um, what the end use case is, is to be determined. So we don't make a particular military version mm -hmm. uh they all they all have uh, encrypted communications they're hardened uh they're protected against electromagnetic pulses or interference so they're very very capable they're capable of completing their mission without radio communications mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things that are special about them that would make them useful for a lot of use cases but we don't make a military. But, but also, I mean, just in natural business right now, you have to think about the cybersecurity risk, right? And, of you know, course. be and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's not even, it, it may be military spec, but you need it for everyday. Right. Know, and we do, we do service and uh, manufacture it in the United States and the, the computers that run it are U.S. certified. So the, the drone from the ground up is a U.S. product. And so we do meet the requirements of local municipalities and the military in terms of U.S. Mm -hmm. and, you're, and you were very thoughtful about that, I assume, right? You wanted it to be that way? That or? was on purpose. Yeah. Has, and so these I, these chip shortages and yada, yada, does that affect you? Is that something that you have to, I mean, you're not maybe not at the scale where. Well, that's know. just it. You know, we're not at the scale where, mm -hmm. you know, I think if you needed hundreds of thousands of pieces, uh, you know, the, the, the scale of car manufacturing or something like that, we might run into that. Where I think we're going to see a problem potentially is uh, over the next three years, two to three years, 
as the FAA adopts more out-of-line-of-sight communications, uh, it's certainly going to use a cellular network, probably a 5G variant. And uh, I don't believe that network is prepared for the amount of um, bandwidth that these drones can produce since we're transmitting high-definition video that's encrypted. So 5G isn't the best on their phones right now. Exa- exactly. <laughs> so I think you're going to see a problem. And, and the answers to that are already in, you know, we have Starlink um, from yep. Tesla and, or from SpaceX, and there's other technologies as well. But, um, but I think actually that's going to be personally, the, the, the communications are going to be the limiting factor. And it's funny because the FAA has communication rules, but the FAA does not oversee frequency. FCC, right? Exactly. FCC. And that's a completely different beast. Um, and uh, most FCC applications require licenses and such. Um, and so from an industry point of view, I believe that the limiting factor in the in the strategic future within five years is going to be the level of and the bandwidth of communications that is required. Mm, cool. So, uh, so I have a few more kind of questions because we're uh, kind of wrapping it up, and I, you guys got to get back to building your business. I don't want to keep you too long out of, out of that. Um, so, I guess uh, uh, one thing is that like. What has been the hardest thing about about this, the uh, about kind of creating this business and and getting it to where it is right now? Good question. Um, I, I can attempt mm-hmm. to answer that. Uh, I think with any, I mean, in the general sense, with any startup, two steps forward, one step back. Um, I think it's my experience has always been hardware, but I find hardware obviously is, um, you know, it, it's. Uh, software you can you can get a couple guys in a room and, and just get started hardware there's there's parts there's you know assembly there's costs of certain uh, products that are out there as you're building uh, your aircraft so it just becomes it's another dimension of, of, of complex that you've got to uh, take into account um, I'm trying to think uh, I don't know if anything well, I think yet. that one of the the issues that's come up lately is as we transition to the commercial products we're basically evaluating full-size motors, full-size power systems, and just like would be in a car, these are massive power systems. One of our test batteries produces as much power as three houses on our block. Um, and that's, so you can't just like that's, plug it into the... Exactly. In fact, we plug it in, it blows all the fuses. And so when you're dealing with these, and it's low voltage, so this is not a danger to the people who are working on it, but when you're dealing with incredibly high amounts of power, which of course even an electric car takes, right? You can imagine. I mean, they accelerate faster than a lot of fuel cars. That the cost and the the test equipment that we use uh, is is expensive and and you know even testing a single motor that's capable yeah. of lifting 50 kilograms that's a big motor and, and you know I grew up around airports and there's a lot of safety and security that goes around that and I think in the startup, world we are so used to software and technology and things to be that can be tested uh you know people talk about a beta test you can just distribute it out and see if it works in this case when it's in the air it's got to work which means that every aspect of that device has got to be tested on the ground and doing that for a 10-foot 
diameter aircraft that's lifting 100 kilograms is something that's non-trivial. It's non-trivial in terms of safety. And we want to test the safety on the ground, obviously, not, not in the air. And it's, it's non-trivial in terms of the equipment and the power and, and, and the batteries. It just gets to be expensive. And as a startup, it's the first point in the development process where uh, and scaling, I don't see as much of an issue because these things are available, readily available and we can do it on purchase orders. But when we're doing the research and putting the motors on for the first time and basically demonstrating, we have hundreds of hours on these aircraft, that, that's an expensive and it's an uh, endeavor that takes a lot of respect. And that's been a challenge for two people who... Uh, you know, built a lot of things in their lives, but, uh, you know, not necessarily things that, you know, f fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hardware, hardware is difficult. It's, it's sort uh, of like yeah. taking your Tesla and making it fly, which I'm sure Tesla's working on. <laughs> I, 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 I just got a question. Were there drone things actually, was he serious about those? Those like human drones. Did you see those? He came out. I don't know. I, I saw it like he, he on his AI day. He mentioned um, that Tesla is building a 125 pound humanoid uh, drone. Oh, like a robot. It, it looked it, 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 when I saw it, like I, I sent it to a couple of people. I'm pretty sure it's real. I'm pretty sure it's real. Like, yeah, he, there's, like a, he, there's a lot like of work he, going on there. Because he was he yeah. was saying that he's doing it so they can lift up to 100 pounds. Right. And it's just like this one thing where it's like mechanical and like it, it's right. wild. I don't know. So. It's, I mean, you know, in terms of the power, like we've already seen that, you know, electric cars can accelerate so fast. Like I said, the disruption is in power to weight ratio. So lifting a lot is not the problem. You pretty much, you can pose to someone, you know, can you lift this weight up like helicopter? And the disruption that we're living through is the fact that the answer is yes, we can push a car from zero to 60 in three seconds on an electric motor. So power is not the problem with drones. everything. Else so I have it. no <laughs> doubt Boston Dynamics has shown this as well up um, where they make the dog robots. That yeah, run around. it was interesting. So I, I, I saw that. So they they sold to Hyundai, right? I believe Hyundai owns Boston. Uh, no, Boston Dynamics was bought by Google. They just sold and it then Google sold it to right to Hyundai, right? Um, Google sold it. I don't know what um, Hyundai may have may have purchased. It's it one recently. of them, and the yeah. re and and the uh, it was a recent podcast I was listening to, and the, the reason why they sold it to them it was either Hyundai or Mitsubishi, one of those, and it was because they realized that like for robots we don't need a humanoid robot that can just do anything. We need robots that can do specific things, and <laughs> drones that can do specific oh. things. It's kind of like your platform; you're right. building it for a specific problem, not for just like any use and, case yeah, and, yeah. and this and that just like i can use those the same ip to build something very specific that does this thing over and over and over and over again without fail right, right. he doesn't need to do parkour all right, right exactly. <laughs> although <laughs> although they're 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 literally training it on parkour oh and yeah oh, yeah uh, i've been watching the videos is, for years yeah it's, which, uh, is, which yeah. is which is totally amazing and the thing yeah. is that the funny about the anthropomorphizing of these robots is that People do that with airplanes too, although it's not in the shape of people. When you look at drones, you either see, you know, something that looks like a helicopter with four blades, or you see a winged thing that looks like a bird. And we build aircraft that look like those two things. And that's sort of, it's actually a stumbling block moving forward, right? We build robots that look like people, which nothing's wrong with that. 
But, but know, yeah. maybe, you know, a fifth arm would be a good thing. You know, yeah. I would certainly like a tail. I don't know about <laughs> um, where, what's the next year look for uh, Wave Aerospace? And are there certain customers or use cases that you're uh, you're looking to get more of or more people kind of interested? I think we're, we're speaking with uh, both academia and, and commercial partners all over the, the world. Um, certainly one of the primary use cases will be around the ocean. Uh, they're building a large wind farm off, off the coast, northeast coast. Um, just today I was on the phone uh, with the UK uh, talking about the North Sea. These are places that if you've ever sailed or been... Just turbulent all the They're just time. beyond belief, worst place to fly even in a full-size, in a full-size plane. Um, and so uh, I definitely see... Uh, Search and rescue and 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 off coast is sort of one of the first things we'll be able to see where we can get out before Seahawk can. We can tag a location and then the Seahawk can do its thing. So we're not replacing anybody, but we can get a drone out to a mayday call faster than an actual helicopter can get out there. Um, and then I think you know the FAA and uh, the FCC have a long way to go in terms of um, the large-scale development of uh, in terms of use cases for the general public. And I hate to say that because drones are lots of fun and, and people have that. Um, however, uh, I think during that time, what we're going to see is uh, more confidence that these aircraft are uh, reliable. Uh, capable and the ones that aren't are going to be selected out for us the number one uh, the, the number one expectation is that we're going to be contacted by more and more people who have great products many who have funded businesses but are being asked yes. to do their business out in the wild where they they can so you're going to be the business for the businesses exactly and and that's that's already happened that's we're seeing a lot more of recently which is which is fine and to be the business behind the behind everybody hey that's about good business model (laughs) we we have this great technology that can do you know such and such to these areas now we've been asked to expand it to these areas but we can't with our platform we need your guys help so let's do this joint venture. We'll uh, spac it out at one point or this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think that's it. And, and li- literally, we're getting calls. In fact, we recently got a call uh, from the largest uh, private heliport in uh, New Jersey. And the reason they called us, and they told us this, they had already called many, many larger companies, uh, companies that people have heard yeah. of, um, and they wanted those companies to bring their electric aircraft down to the heliport and take it off. And those companies declined because they were unable to take off at a live heliport where you had the other helicopters taking off. So next month, it's our hope that it will meet next month, we're planning on taking uh, our aircraft down there and simply hovering next to a helicopter that takes off and lands. So it's... Uh, basically showing the capabilities of our aircraft that'd be, that'd be impressive and that's and, what a, and, and another milestone for you guys so absolutely well hey guys i don't again you guys gotta get back to this work because you have a lot of work so you can even get down to that point well thank you um i do very much appreciate it thank you very much for being here yeah no and, thank you for, uh, thank you for having us yeah and uh yeah if anybody wants to uh, learn more about wave aerospace where do they go they can go to uh they can contact either one of us mark or steve at wave aerospace Dot com or they can go to waveaerospace.com and connect us connect through there we're also on facebook and twitter and
Instagram. All right. Awesome. Well, guys, have a good day and thank you for coming. Terrific. Thank Thank you. you very much. Fly safe. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com.